the Industrial Security Podcast with Andrew Ginter and Nate Nelson. Sponsored by Waterfall Security Solutions. Welcome all to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name as usual is Nate Nelson. I'm here as usual with Andrew Ginter, Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. He's going to introduce today's guest, Andrew, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thank you, Nate. Our guest today is Jens Wiesner. He is the director of the Industrial Cybersecurity Unit at the German BSI. BSI is, is German. It's uh, Bundesamt für Sicherheit der Informationstechnik, um, which is uh, a crude approximation of uh, the English translation Federal Office for Information Security. So let's, uh, let's go to, to my interview with, uh, with Jens. Hello, Jens. Hello, Andrew. Thank you for joining us. Um, can we get started with the basics? I know that the, the, the BSI is you know, vaguely analogous to the DHS here in, in North America. What, what is the BSI? What do you do over there? So the BSI is the German Federal Office for Information Security. It's somewhat different from the DHS because our main focus was in the past time securing governmental networks. And that has changed now to critical infrastructure protection, but only the IT side of critical infrastructure protection. So we are not doing the FEMA part. We are doing a bit ICS cert, a bit GAF cert, and a bit NIST stuff. So certification is also part of BSI. Okay, Andrew, can we start by having you define some of the terms that Jens used? Sure. Um he talked about an ICS cert, that's the Industrial Control System Computer Emergency Response Team. Um, in North America, that's the, the team with, uh, you know, the, the flyaway team. When there's, a, when there's an incident at a, an industrial site, they pick up their gear, they fly to the site, they, they help respond. Um, they've got, obviously, uh, a, uh, a center where they have uh, uh, experts and can offer advice as well. The government cert is the same thing, but for... Uh, presumably government agencies. NIST is the uh, United States uh, National Institute of Standards and Technologies. They do standards. Now, he's, he mentioned that uh, BSI does some certification. I'm thinking he might mean enforcement. Um, they, I, I'm thinking the BSI might have a, a regulatory role. Uh, you know, I use the term DHS, but um, he points out, you know, rightfully that the DHS is a very big agency in the United States and uh, you know stuff like the FEMA the the Federal Emergency uh, Management Agency is not uh, part of the 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 BSI mandate the, you know the DHS does everything from uh, physical security at airports to hurricane response and it's the ICS security part that uh, is is relevant to BSI I want to hear more about what Jens does let's get back to your interview with him the topic near and dear to my heart, this is the Industrial Control System, uh, sorry, the Industrial Security Podcast, uh, is, is the ICS part. Uh, what are you doing with the, in the ICS space? So Germany has a lot of critical infrastructure and they need to be secured, meaning the technical aspects of, of industrial control systems which are being used in critical infrastructures have to be understood, have to be secured. And I'm heading the team which is responsible for the technical aspects of critical infrastructure protection. I know that over here, um, you know, we work with the, the DHS 
used to be called the ICS CERT, it's called something else now. They had conferences, they produced literature and guidance. Are there comparable functions in the BSI? Sure. Um, a big part of our work is awareness, um, meaning we have at the moment, I think, 19 papers, which are also available in English. Um, some of them are very short, something like um, incident stories or um, how to do, do um, remote access, e easy things, up to 200 pages or 150 pages at the moment, which are something like OT for IT guys, how, how to do secure OT networks. How about conferences? I mean, Waterfall goes to a lot of conferences in North America. I'm much less aware of what's happening in Germany. So conferences in Germany focusing on ICS are extremely rare. There's only one which is called IT Meets Industry, which focuses on the chemical industry in Germany. And there's CCC, which is the, something like the Black Hat of Germany. Andrew, you told me that you got a chance to look at some of BSI's papers, correct? I did. I did. They've got some good stuff there. The, the one I particularly liked was their top 10 threats and countermeasures. Um, they go through 10 kinds of attacks, 10 kinds of threats, and they talk about uh, how to deal with them. Um, it's, in a sense, it's a, it's a nice getting started uh, uh, paper. If you've got a, a smaller critical infrastructure site, if you've got a smaller industrial site, and you want to, uh, you know, you, you haven't been terribly active in the, the security space uh, until now, this is a great starting point to understand, uh, you know, the the basic threats everyone has to deal with and understand the the usual ways to address those threats in the uh, the ICS space but there's other papers there too and that in fact was my next question to gents here your best practice guidance can you give me an example what uh, what what do you guys talk about for example last year we um, published a paper on medical device security we're focused on best practices which are easy to achieve, not comprehensive, not complete checklists, but things you have to think about and to implement it. Uh, for medical devices, a medical device is also a, some... I know doctors don't like it when I say it, this, but it's like a, like a factory with PLCs inside, and they have to work, and if they don't work, people are going to die. It's the same with med medical devices. You know, it's a very interesting idea to compare medical devices to industrial ones, but maybe that's also somewhat of a communication problem that someone like Jens can see it this way. But of course, he mentioned, you know, uh, doctors may not see uh, medicine in the same way that industrial workers see factories. So yeah, medical devices are not like factories, but uh, there's a general perception, a widespread perception that medical device security is lagging the uh, the security initiatives in the in industrial space and a lot of the issues are the same um, you know especially when it comes to uh, safety systems and in fact safety systems is what gents talked about next let's listen in so that's interesting the the uh, the, the medical devices um you know, the I've seen interest in that field lately. There's there's more and more people talking about that field. Uh, what else is hot? What are you working on lately? What what have you produced lately? So, everybody knows Triton Trisys, and in fact, we were working on the topic securing safety systems before everybody talked about Triton Trisys. So we started 2016 already, 
and finalized a paper which was published in December 2017. And then Triton Trices was published and all hell broke loose. And in the aftermath of Triton Trices, we generated open source snort rules, which everybody can deploy in their networks if they have the capability to. And they can use them to connect um, changes in the safety system and they have to, to connect this to a change management system that every change in the programming of the controller has to be matched with a downtime with some process which is authorized by a third party or by, the, by their superiors that unauthorized changes has, have to be tracked and that's something an, uh, an attacker can very it's very hard for an attacker to circumvent these measures Andrew, I've got a few clarification questions for you. Firstly, uh, what is Triton Trisis? Well, Triton Trisis are two different names for the 2018, I think it was August 2018, uh, attack on the Saudi refinery safety system. This was the first time that we had observed, that anyone had, had observed in the wild, uh, a piece of malware uh, taking on a safety system and trying to impair the operation of the safety system. And this is, of course, uh, very bad because if the attack had succeeded, if the safety system had been disabled, it means that uh, unsafe conditions at the plant would not have been diagnosed and we could have had disaster. We could have had loss of life. Uh, you know, the purpose of a safety system is to protect human life at uh, complex, dangerous industrial sites. And this was an attack on one of those systems, the first we'd observed. Okay, my second question, what are snort rules? Well, Snort is an, an open source intrusion detection system. Um, you know, it's a it's a pun. Uh, when when we look at uh, network traffic, we often say we're sniffing the traffic. We're seeing a copy of the traffic. The traffic continues. We don't impair the the, the traffic. It's looking at it from the outside. It's called sniffing. So Snort is a a great big sniff that pulls a lot of packets in, and analyzes them. It's like an antivirus for network traffic, raises alerts when it sees suspicious patterns. Okay. My last clarification question about what Jen's talked about, what is change control? Uh, that's a good question. Um, it could mean a couple of different things. I, in fact, asked him about that next. So let's go back to the recording here. Let me understand what you're talking about. Is this, um, is this a change control process or is this a, a technology for detecting unauthorized changes? Uh, the SNORT rules, it's, it's a simply intrusion detection system for detecting changes in the system. But a change could be legit. So it has to be connected to a other management system from owned by the operator. And these two have to be connected. So an intrusion detection system m might generate a false positive in this way. Right. So what Jens was talking about was you know, what I've heard called elsewhere as the engineering change control process. The SNORT rules are detecting changes over the network, changes to the configuration of the safety system. And of course, safety systems don't change very often. Any change to a safety system is a big deal. Any change to a safety system really should be accompanied by a work order, should be accompanied by a planning process, by an engineering process that went through uh, uh, an inquiry to make sure that the change that's proposed to the safety system is safe, is not going to cause uh, problems with, with safety at the plant. And so every time you touch the safety system, there'd better be a work order 
detailing what's going to change. And every time that snort rule goes off saying, hey, someone changed the configuration, there'd better be a work order to correspond to it. So he's not talking about any kind of automation to automatically do any of that. What he's talking about is um, the BSI published snort rules to detect changes in the uh, Triconics safety systems that the Trisys Triton attack targeted. And uh, of course, the attack was changing those configurations. And so if you ever see that rule fire and say, hey, there's a change, um, you've got an opportunity to go back to your, your work orders and say, but there's no work order. This is suspicious and trigger an investigation. And if necessary, you know, trigger a safety shutdown until you've repaired your safety system. So I, I think this is uh, the, long, the long-winded version of, of uh, what Jens was talking about. So, um, you know, after this topic, we changed we changed gears, and I started asking about uh, sort of the difference between his experience of, of what he sees in Germany and, and in the rest of the world. So, Jens, you get around. You're here at S4. I've seen you at some of the, the, the other North American events. How would you compare what's going on in Germany to, to what's going on in other parts of the world that, that you're, you're, you're visiting and you're, you're understanding? So, in this... Honestly, I've never been to a critical infrastructure in the United States, so it's a bit difficult to go in depth and compare, make the comparison in depth. But I see it seems to me we're struggling with the same issues, meaning legacy products, meaning insufficient awareness on the operator sides, starting with the really easy stuff, not having basic knowledge of the inventory of the network, not having um, an overview of the network itself. Um, Having not having been prepared for incidents for cyber incidents, and it's we're all for, for me, most companies are in their early steps, early stages. So, for example, um, electricity generation, transmission grid, they're quite mature. It seems for me, like if in the United States, uh, same in Germany. But others, um, for example, uh, water wastewater treatment facilities mo- are mostly small small companies. At least in Germany, they're very small companies, and there are lots of them, uh, consisting of very few personnel, electricians mostly, and not trained for anything which includes cyber. So, Andrew, does that sound uh, similar to you? It does. It sounds very similar. I mean, I asked because we always wonder, I always wonder, if somebody else in the world hasn't already solved these problems and I'm just not aware of them because of language barriers or other other barriers to communication. Um, but it sounds like it's very similar in Germany uh, to, you know, the the situation in North America. Some industries are further ahead, some are behind. The electric sector leads. This is, uh, is a very familiar uh, circumstance uh, for, you know, for someone who's well-versed in, in the, uh, the North American industry. So given that that uh, other industries and you know some industries and and especially smaller sites are further behind, my next question had to do with small sites. So that's that's very interesting. I think it's very much the same in North America. I saw a statistic a little while ago saying uh, in the United States alone, there's something like uh, twenty thousand uh, drinking water treatment utilities and over two hundred thousand wastewater treatment utilities. Mm-hmm almost all of which must be tiny. Do you, do you have uh, 
a stream of advice for small sites, sites that don't have full-time staff? In Germany, a critical infrastructure is defined that they have an effect on 500,000 people and more. So we are not covering every small utility, so it might be a bit different to the United States. Uh, on the other hand, um, the first thing is not to put your head in the sand, like the ostrich, ostrich and to start. And to start, for example, we have documents, top 10 uh, threats and countermeasures. Every, any, everybody has them. Um, you have them as well. You, you even took, I think, 20. Um, you, you took the number 20 and not the number 10. It doesn't matter. You, you just start with them. And just, you, you, you find your crown jewels. What hurts? What, what's really critical when it stops? And the other point is um, what's, your, what's your exposure? For example, we still find sites on showdown in, in Germany. It's ha happened two weeks ago, which are, were doing easy, simple stuff, but they were fully exposed to the Internet with VNC, with the, the HMI, with service ports, and talking to the, when, to the integrator, they said, oh, we should shift the ports, we should change the ports. Uh, no, they shouldn't do that. They should do something different and they should do it properly. So it's not only an issue of the site operator, but also of the personnel who built the sites and to maintain the sites, which are often different people. Can you explain Shodan? Yeah, Shodan is, uh, is a search engine. It's analogous to Google. I mean, what, what Google does is searches web servers. And so uh, really it connects to... You know, I, I imagine the Google search engine connects to more or less every IP address on the planet looking for port 80 or port 443. These are TCP ports that are serving websites or encrypted websites. And once it connects to them, it uh, you know asks for data and, and indexes the data. Shodan uh, looks at ports 80 and 443, but also looks at a lot of other ports. Shodan basically connects. I mean, the goal of Shodan is to, to connect to every IP address on the planet and ask it, what ports have you got open? So some ports are VNC, which is like a, a remote desktop. Other ports are remote desktop. Some ports are Windows file sharing. Other ports are FTP and uh, you know other kinds of file sharing. There's all sorts of of standard ports and non-standard ports for that matter and Shodan tries to find out um, what's out there, what's listening. In particular, uh, Shodan has been used by security researchers. Once the, the database exists, you can ask the database, okay, I know that this kind of control system listens on these seven ports. This port has you know, the remote desktop, that port has the other thing, this port has the, a copy of the HMI and so on. And now you can ask Shodan which IP addresses in the world expose those ports. Now you connect to them and go, oh, look, some fool has connected a control system directly to the Internet. I thought what, uh, you know, what, what uh, Jens's answer there saying when they, when they discover these things in, in their jurisdiction in Germany and they go to the owner and say, look, you really shouldn't be connecting your control system to the Internet. This is not safe. And the answer is, oh, I should shift the ports, which means adjust the firewall so that instead of you know the, the seven usual ports being exposed, they change the port numbers so that they are seven 
unusually numbered ports, but they're still exposed, and they're saying, don't do this. This is a bad idea. Right. Is is shifting the ports worth anything? Well, I mean, shifting the ports is, is what they call security through obscurity. It's... Uh, you're you're no more you're no more secure than you used to be. If somebody knows you've shifted the ports, they can still attack you. All you've done is, uh, you know, made the numbering the ports non-standard. So now you have to do just a little bit more research to go. Oh look, there's seven ports there, and they match this control system. Somebody's mapped the ports. Um, really, what you need to do is stop connecting the control systems to the internet. Do not let packets from the internet route into the control system and attack the control system. That's what you got to do, not not renumber things so that uh, it it looks a little bit different from everything else in the world. Looking a little different is not actually much more secure. But then, of, of course, does that introduce the other conversation about whether there's any tangible benefit to connecting to the Internet, or are we going to say that in general, as a principle, um, you should be hiding yourself entirely? Well, I didn't ask Jens that, but you know, in in my own experience, um, it's it's a bad idea. It, it's certainly a bad idea to connect control systems directly to the internet. If you need access to the control system for whatever reason, there's ways to do it that are much more secure than quick connect directly to the internet and let every IP address on the planet send attack packets at me. That's just such a bad idea. All right, fair enough. But before we get on too much of a tangent, let's shift gears here, maybe. Sure. My next question uh, had to do with with regulations. Talking about critical infrastructure in Europe, there was a directive a couple of years, the the NIST directive. What is that? How does it affect Germany? How do you interact with that? So the NIST directive is, as you said, an over over Europe um, aging directive. And Germany is one of the early adopters. So we already covered, I would say, 95, 97% of, of, the, of the installations and of the methods these installations have to be monitored. So there, it's a directive given by some state or even European body is very high level. And you have to break it down into uh, actionable pieces. And this we already did before the directive was in place. Together with France, we were the early adopters and we were testing how we could do it. And at the moment, it turns out that um, the first round is done. So meaning we have it was implemented in 2015. And now we are going to refine it. We're going to rework it. And um, the European Commission has... Um, has seen that there's there might be some or there there could be some further changes, but at the moment there is no, to, at least to my knowledge, not not an official change planned. Yeah, this is policy stuff which I'm not so good at or not so. <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> I see. I was going to ask you um, uh, if you could be more specific. Um, you know, there's mm. there's there's stuff they ordered you to do. I had the impression it had something to do with you've got to identify sites. You've got to have what 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 was the order? What what you know? You, you it's great that you've done it already, mm. but what did you do? Okay, what? okay. The the it, it was specified which sector is a critical infrastructure, meaning water wastewater was a critical infrastructure. For example, um, food generation and food processing 
was, according to the European Union, not a critical infrastructure, but we made it in Germany as a critical infrastructure. Um, transportation systems, for example, railway, airports are critical infrastructures. But if you say, um, as I, I, hope I started earlier with um, affected people 500,000, and how to break it down. So if you take, for example, an airport, 500,000 people per Per which per, per day per week per month, so it's 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 a fine tuning here, which um, was not specified in the European directive, but has to be done by every member state, and every member state in return has to gather um, incident reports and make statistics and submit these statistics to the European Union. Jens, there hit on a, a theme, it seems, of our show, which is sort of how regulatory bodies define critical infrastructure. That's right, and it was interesting to see that um, you know what the kind of the kind of way that they identify critical infrastructure in Germany is is in a sense the same as all over the world. Everyone does it a little differently, but ultimately they all seem to be measuring consequences. Critical infrastructure is defined pretty much universally in terms of consequences to society. So the, the measuring, the yardstick that, that the BSI is using is uh, you know, an undesirable impact, a, a serious impact on a half million people. Anything that impacts that many people or more is, uh, that has a consequence for that many people or more is critical infrastructure. It's interesting because um, there's lots of ways to measure risk uh, you know consequences, exposure, um, but the 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 critical infrastructure people seem uh, the the regulators seem seem uh, pretty consistent in terms of of consequence as the measure. Following up on that I- idea, um, if they are consistent in defining this according to consequences, um, do you uh, what do we think about their consistency regarding where that line is? Um, presumably. Each of these bodies or these governments um, has to draw a line somewhere of what consequences are deemed critical and what are sort of manageable. Um, did you get any sense from Jens or, or sort of after all of these talks with all of these experts about where different people are drawing the lines? I mean, that's a good question, but I, I didn't go into that with Jens. Um, Take, for instance, uh, NERC-SIP in North America. I, I can give you an answer from the NERC-SIP standard. Um, if we talk power generation, um, the NERC-SIP standard says uh, a site is low impact or medium impact or high impact, not based on uh, the number of people affected, but rather the amount of electrical energy if affected. So uh, a site is defined, a generating site is defined as medium impact if it produces 1500 megawatts or more. Or and, and you know it's defined as medium impact if a cyber attack could impair the production of 1500 megawatts or more. So different regulators, different geographies, they use different measures, but in all cases they're measuring consequences. So you said earlier that you know regulation and rules is is stuff that we all have to deal with. We we all understand this. But you know, you personally, uh, the industrial control system security field. What part of it does do you, do you find the most exciting? What you know, what 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 part do you like to stir? For me, it's um, the impact-driven thing, the identifying which parts, which which small piece breaks, and which has a major effect, which you didn't think about it. Identifying these pieces, 
Um, from my background, I'm a technical guy. I love playing around with computer systems and finding there the, the, the small weak points which might destroy the whole, the whole system. That's for me the most interesting part. Cool. Can you give me an example of, of one or two of these weak points? What would that look like? Um, we recently dealt with a patient monitor and they were going into an infinitive reboot loop if they both had, had the same IP address. It, the easy stuff, as I said, which shouldn't have be happening. Um, on, a, on a larger scale, it's for me still, I, I'm, I'm not decided if it's, it, in most cases, it's people. It's the people because the, um, the technical things you can, I wouldn't say control, but you can measure it, you can find a way to, 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 stir, to steer it. But people, they just do stupid things, plug in USB sticks, um, want to watch some movies at night during night shift, and um, they are the biggest threat, in my opinion, to the system. And not by intention, but just because they don't know better or they want an easy way. So Jen's answer here reminded me of Ralph Langner's book, Robust Control System Networks. You know, Ralph is a German. He, he basically says, guys, uh, use good engineering. Make the system robust. You know, small mistakes like duplicate IP addresses should not completely shut down a device. Functions that are not dependent, you know, the device functions that, are not de that do not depend on the network, those functions should continue to operate normally. You should continue monitoring the patient normally. The fact that you've got a, a problem in your networking stack doesn't, doesn't mean the, the entire device needs to reboot. So, um, there, you know, there's, there's some, some similarities here I'm, I'm, I'm sensing in the, the sort of German perspective on cybersecurity. Right. But, of course, we could, talk for, we could talk engineering for days, and then there's always the matter of people. And it seems like anytime you talk about security, people are always going to be the wild card. That's right. And Jens did talk about that. That was my next question to him. So let's listen in. So is there something that the, that the BSI is doing or you'd like to see done to, to help that? What, what's the, the right step there? Is it, is it more documentation? Is it conferences? Is it teaching the people who will teach the people? What, what is the right step? It's very difficult. So we are trying everything. And at the moment, I don't think we are having a big, big impact. So it's like with this conference, Dale is on stage and said, oh, we're talking about making systems more secure since 15 years now, and have we succeeded? No. And I've, I have the same impression here. But we can't stop. We have to continue. And the, um, Germany is very proud of their engineering skills, of their um, quality of work. And to give these people an incentive by their... to to, to um, catch them by their um, by their honor to catch them by their honor and and most of them if if they are given the opportunity they, they they will follow it and we are now creating tabletop exercises which we're going to distribute which give you uh, an easy playful access to this kind of evil thinking because most people still think in use cases and not in abuse cases you know, it, it's kind of nice that he mentioned, you know, the words honor and proud. I think he meant he, he had pride there. And pride isn't usually something that I tend to hear in these sorts of, of conversations. Yeah, I mean, the Germans are rightfully proud of their, their engineering abilities. And he's saying 
there should be a way to tap into that. And I think he's right. And he also talked about uh, teaching people about attacks. And, and I'm utterly convinced that if you want to do security, you have to understand the threats. We have to understand the, the, the attacks that are coming at us. And, uh, you know, if we understand the attacks, if we understand the threats and the risks, we can start to apply engineering expertise to uh, understanding the problem and, and dealing with the problem. We're now reaching the tail end of your interview. Let's check back in for the final question that you asked Jens. This has been great, Jens. Uh, is, there, is there a parting thought? Is there a, a lesson you'd like to leave with our listeners? There are actually two. Um, the first is it can be done. So it is, you, you're, you have to try. And it won't work the first time and things might not work as expected, but we will get there. And we will get there not on ourselves, but together with others. So that means, meaning fi find someone, someone you, you know, you trust, fi find a group, find, if you trust the state, go to the state. If you find, um, if, if you have some um, superior company, some, I wouldn't say a competitor, but someone you, you, you think, okay, cool guy, we, we could work together. Just try to do that. And try to exchange information, try to exchange your best practices. Um, and there's this um, old discussion about IT and OT, and the, the, the old fight. So putting someone from IT in the OT department and someone from the IT department in, in the OT department and just switching the people for a few weeks, a few months, helps a lot. This is my what, what I've thought. What people told me what was most successful is seeing the thing through the eyes of the other person. All right. Well, before we get into another argument about IT and OT on this podcast, how about we just end it there? Andrew, thank you as always for sitting with me. My pleasure, Nate. Um, you know, I think it, you're, you're right. We it, it's good to end on a, a positive note. Uh, you know, Jen's point that it it can be done. We have to try, even if it doesn't work the first time. Uh, you know, keep going and cooperate. I think that's a great message to, to carry forward. Great. Then on that note, thank you, Andrew. Thank you to Jens for sitting with us. This has been the Industrial Security Podcast. I've been Nate Nelson. See you next time.